0: Hey everyone, welcome to Love, Rins Repeat, a podcast recorded on the unceded sovereign lands, the Gayomuggle muggle people by me, Liam Miller, he, him, he is a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. Joining us back on the podcast, what might be her fifth time, is Grace g Kim. Grace, welcome along.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on your podcast. You do so many. I don't know how you keep up. (laughs) You and uh, Trip Fuller make it look so easy. I decided to do one and then it's so hard. I can barely (laughs) put one up a month. (laughs)
0: <laughs> one a month seems good I, I don't know that might be the move in the future I, you know that's, oh, okay, that's but probably want so any
1: trip does like once a week or something like that but yeah. you two make it look so easy <laughs> i thought it was like a you know a piece of cake but it's the so thing hard is though, to Grace, do
0: it. We, we're not publishing two books a year so like it's <laughs> you know, it's a bit easier to you know keep the podcast churning out if you're not also handling all of that um And and speaking of books, we're talking today about your recently released Invisible Theology and the Experience of Asian American Women. we both got our copies held up for those watching. uh, (laughs) uh, It's out with Fortress Press now and you can pick it up wherever you get books. So please, folks, do that while you're listening. So Grace, I guess like, you know, talk to us about this book. Like in a lot of ways it feels, I don't know, your relationship to it, but it feels like almost like a culmination of a lot of what is been you know in a lot of your other works and building and then kind of really takes the foreground here uh so I don't know if you have a kind of a relationship to it if this is a book that's been brewing for a while or whether you know it has a different kind of relationship so talk to us a bit about what you're hoping to achieve with this book and I guess how you found the uh the reception so far.
1: Oh yeah. So you know, it's, it's a book, all my books kind of ruined my my body for a while in my brain. And I've always kind of wanted to share my story and they were, you know, they pop up in my blogs and my previous book. And so I originally started this book like more as a memoir. Mm. And then um, when I had the publisher, the publisher kind of made it more academic. So You know, my stories are weaved in with the historical information of the Asian immigrants coming into the United States and into Canada. And then, you know, some of the laws that were put in place. So there's a lot of history in the book, as well as a lot of theology. So it's not quite the book I imagined it to be, but that's with almost all my books. (laughs) I think of one thing and then the end product is something else. But I'm really happy with the book. You know, I write in the introduction um, that, you know, I was near the end of the book and my laptop crashed. You know, you always think and, you know, students tell you their laptop crashed (laughs) and you think it's never going to happen to you. And it was a new laptop. It was only like a year and a half Mm. old, my Mac. And I just never imagined it. And I'm one of those busy people that could care less about storing things on (laughs) on a hard drive. (laughs) And so I lost most of this book and it was very devastating. I just... Mm. I cried for months because I sent it to so many um, tech companies so that they can retrieve the data and nobody could. Mm. So the last option was then to send it to uh, Apple and then they just redid the internal, which means there's no way to uh, get the old data so I lost everything Mm. and you know it was a really tough lesson to learn now I have three external hard drives (laughs) and I email documents to myself all day long you know (laughs) I'm working on something I change a period okay I gotta I gotta email myself so it was a devastating event for me so rewriting and then you know as with every book you submit it and then it takes them a while to do the copy editing Mm. so it was months later I got the book back with the copy editing and then I realized you know I I did begin with them hoping it to be a memoir and then it changed into more of a theological historical religious uh book but then look reading back my own stories that I included I was like oh no I don't know if I should include these stories it was the it was a really like um It was a strange moment for me because I had written it, but then, you know, months away from it, I was like, oh, I can't believe I wrote all this into the book. And I was debating, should I delete some of these stories? And then at the end, I kept every single one of them that was already in it during the copy editing stage. And so now it's kind of out there very, some of them very personal stories. Some of them, I don't know if I still should have shared it, but you know, I share the ordination story, but I've talked about it a lot. So I thought, okay, it's okay now. Um, I didn't put names in there, but I just thought since I've talked about it so much, it's okay now to be in a book. So there are very personal stories. And I found at the end, because I do, you know, I'm a feminist theologian. uh, Without the stories, I think it's really hard for people to to understand the theology that I'm trying to develop and present. Mm -hmm. And so even at the end, I I do develop the theology of visibility. That was not my intention when I first began the book many, many years ago, because it was supposed to be a memoir. But because it turned a little bit, you know, as uh, maybe a textbook people can use, or a Bible study book, or, you know, individuals can read it for for their own selves. Um, I thought I should end with some... Uh, theological kind of mm. uh, thing so that's where I developed the theology of visibility and so you know I'm so glad you know I was on Trips podcast which will be coming out you, you may beat them to it I don't know who's gonna uh, share it first mm-hmm. but I, I'm this is what I wanted I wanted non-Asian Americans to read it yeah I want everyone to read it because I think people can still find a Part of themselves as they're reading my book, their the history, the history of immigration would be different, but still they may be on the other side of that story too. But I'm just hoping that the book will open people's eyes and hearts to how to see how people in the margins experience God, experience Christianity, um, experience church, because you know. Christianity and theology has been so white and so male dominated. We need to kind of dismantle this, unpack it, deconstruct it. And so I hope my book is a little contribution to that. Um, right. I think it's a necessary kind of contribution. That's why we need womanist uh, voices. We need Hispanic Latinx voices. We need uh, white woman. We need all these voices, queer voices, every voice to help us understand god's presence in our life because you know god is this infinite being who created all of us and we are this tiny little human being and so you know one voice will do no justice to understand god's presence in the world we need all these diverse voices and their experiences to help us understand the fullness of
0: god thank you grace i think it does definitely uh move us in that direction so it is an excellent work I, I was, Thank you. It, it, it was interesting. So thinking about this, this uh, you know, this central idea of invisibility and, and that being this marker of, of Asian American women experiences. Um, there was a tweet I saw some time ago and I tried to find it in preparation for this, but I, I, maybe it was deleted or the person wisely left Twitter. Um, but uh, <laughs> she was a you know, Asian American woman and she was talking about how she was at some big kind of conference um, sitting next to a white husband. And then they said like, okay, now we're going to have like the POC caucus so folks who are, you know, white get, you can move out and, the, and, and so the husband got up and he kind of turned back to her and it's like, you know, aren't you coming? And, and she was like, you know, <laughs> I'm a person of colour too. Um, you know, and, and you, know, she, you know, she had that, that kind of experience of you know, invisibility and, and you know, what when you count and, and, and do people see you as counting within that? And I think, you know, part of what your book is exploring is that particular experience of, you know, belonging and non-belonging um you know particularly when the racial discourse is so often in the U.S. you know a a black white discourse um so yeah talk to us a bit about that invisibility as this kind of you know central motif and then I guess how that kind of yeah you know that that relation I guess within where where people see themselves and belong and and actually and the books kind of pushed it we need to see ourselves in this Asian American identity.
1: Yeah so you know I the the concept of invisibility and being invisible is not just to the Asian American woman, but also Asian American men too. So, you know, as you mentioned the black and white dichotomy of racism. So that's what happens here in the U.S. We talk about racism in black and white terms. It may be happening in other parts of the world, like Australia and and other places. So, um, you know, if you're not black, then the experiences that we experience are not considered racism or racist. And so we get kind of deleted from this um, experience that we experience so much. And, you know, during this pandemic, you know, with the, API hate crimes, it just rose so much. There were always Asian hate crimes, uh, you know, towards our community, but the increase, you know, and it didn't help because we had this president who kept calling it, you know, Chinese flu or the Asian flu. And so in an indirect way, he was saying, you know, go attack these people that brought this um, to our country. So, you know, this these hate crimes and this racism is just part of our whole immigrant history. So when you keep telling us that it is not racism, that we become invisible in the society. And it's not just that that, uh, aspect, but there's many aspects that make us invisible. We in America, we're about 6% of the population. African-Americans I think are 14 or 13%. Hispanics are lower, but you know, We are still 6% and our issues are not at the forefront. People don't, you know, I think just recently a school in New Jersey said that they will uh, include Asian American history in the curriculum in the public school. We don't, Here, or we don't learn about Asian American history and we have such a long history here in the US and in Canada but it's not shared so in so many layers we're made invisible and then you know in the 1960s sociologists said that you know Asian Americans are the model minority and that was a horrible uh, myth to put upon us Um, it was used to pit us against other people of color like Native Americans, African Americans and the Latinx community saying, you know, if you work just as hard, you will do just as well as the Asian-Americans. You know, you can get the tops, get into top schools, uh, live really well and and have a great job, but that's not true. There are so many Asian-Americans all over US and Canada living in poverty. We don't all go to the top schools. We don't all have great jobs you know, if you just go to Flushing or different parts of the country, people are living in poverty. They're living Mm -hmm. in these small apartments, sharing bathrooms and sharing kitchens with other family and other people. So this is the reality and these realities are made invisible. So Asian Americans as a whole are made invisible by this white dominant society and even Christianity itself. But then within our Asian American community, because of sexism because of the patriarchal culture that Asian Americans are now, Asian American women are now doubly made invisible. So our stories of, you know, sexual assault or physical assault or any of those horrible things that happen to us, we live in you know, in Asian culture, as well as in some other cultures, we live in an honor-shame society, so we don't want to air our dirty laundry, we don't want to share these stories of, you know, people, you know, attacking us, family members or friends or strangers, we don't want to share that, so then that's the other layer of Asian American women's experience, that we are made invisible by the white-dominant society, and then this this patriarchal Asian culture that we also reside and are part of. And so part of, you know, the stories that I, you know, I struggled with after I wrote it, should I include them or not? You know, I think if I don't share the stories then I'm making also myself invisible mm. to even within my own book. So I decided to share them to say, this is what is happening to Asian American women. It's a very common thing that's happening. So, you know, we shouldn't be so ashamed of it. We need to Mm -hmm. share, we need to, understand it's happening and do something about it in our community otherwise our issues become invisible our our being our our personhood becomes invisible because we're going to keep uh burying it and burying it as if everything is okay mm-hmm. within our asian american community so there is this double layer of being invisible so that's why it's a it's you know, this is not a good thing for us. You know, we are all created in God's image. We are to flourish, we are to be liberated, and we've got all these multiple layers of things that prevent us from from flourishing and doing what God has called us because mm. of these structures that exist.
0: Mm. Oh, thank you, Grace. I think that's that's right on. And I think so it's interesting. There's um like a bit earlier in the book where you talk about going into a uh, into your graduate program or into a class uh, as an early PhD student and you talk, you you hear a uh, man's voice rang up behind you of, thank God, another Asian. Um, And you turn around and saw some young male uh, Asian students there who who saw you and, you know, you you kind of detail the kind of conflicted feelings you had of like, you know, not wanting to be just another or or instantly associated with like because of that, you know, defining characteristic, but also, you know, and wanting to be seen as just a theologian, but also, acknowledging as you have just now we've got to speak from and to these particular experiences and not try to hide them and a lot of theology's problems in that white male mode of of particularly through the 20th century was just like being like well I'm not anyone in particular I'm a universal person you can speak to all and all and all um so yeah you know as you kind of you know, wrestle with those experiences, and then, but and then also this desire to say, no, we need to stake our claim, we need to own and become visible. Um, yeah, just curious about that, h- h- how you, you know, yeah, feel that n- navigation still in your theological work as you, you know, write about a wide range of things now, but still, you know, there's a sense of and, but from here,
1: yeah, yeah. So you know, when I was doing my PhD, there were a lot of um. Uh, visa students from Korea, so all these men. I think I was the only Korean woman at the time. Um, it it was it's a large program at the University of Toronto. There's, uh, you know, I think seven seminaries there, and mm-hmm. they all come together as the Toronto School of Theology. So I was at Knox College and Saint Michael's University, but I was about the only Asian woman there, Asian American woman, and I had all these uh, Asian American or Asian male classmates it was very difficult um you know in one way it was fun to hang around but another way the expectation but then also how other white people see me uh so there were a lot of things happening and it's one of those experiences I'm just so glad to put behind me and be and to be done with I'm just glad that it was it was one of those programs but you know it, it really made me struggle with my own identity and how I am viewed by others uh, within the Asian American community and the wider community and I bring all those kind of aspects Mm -hmm. into the book in different ways and you know even though I said I'm glad to be done with it those kind of struggles I continue to have in different areas Mm -hmm. so it's not something I can just push behind and okay I went through with it and it won't happen again but it does happen and you know I just, you know, I end with the theology of visibility. I hope those who feel invisible, for Asian Americans, it's a very common experience. We can just talk about being invisible and all of us understand fully what that means. Mm -hmm. But I think in so many other ways, different Constituents, different people in our society feel invisible, whether it be because of their ableism, whether it be their uh, sexual orientation or their gender identity. People are made to feel invisible. And I think, you know, part of our Christian calling is to embrace one another and to love one another and to value them and make them visible. They should be pulled in from the margins and welcomed.
0: Mm. Yeah, you're right at one point about how that, you know, invisibility obscures our understanding of the self, our desire, our perceptions, you know, there, there, there is this kind of, yeah, this self-damage or this self, you know, obfuscation that happens
1: yeah. through that oh, process yeah.
0: and, and, you know, so, oh, so yeah. there is this kind of affirmative, healthy move in, in that claiming of visibility, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, you know, when I was growing up because of the racism I experienced in school, you know, you just want to be made Not only are you made invisible, but you want to make yourself invisible, too. Because Mm -hmm. if you stick out, then they will continue to make fun of your looks, your heritage, your identity, your accent, the way you dress, the way you smelled. You know, there's all that. So, you know, there's all these different layers of this invisibility that happens to us. But, you know, as I write the book and as I raise my three children, I'm trying to live day by day by embracing and and celebrating my Asianness, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Sandra Oh, who's a Canadian uh, American actress, I, I identify with her in so many different ways. Uh, and the fact that when I was growing up, everybody thought I looked like Sandra Oh. But anyway, <laughs> that's another side thing. But her and I are very similar in age. And but she she has the hashtag. It's a it's just an honor to be an Asian. So I try to. Uh, celebrate, because Mm -hmm. I I think that's what we need to do, Uh, whatever your identity is. You know, the other book that I wrote, um, co-wrote with Susan Shaw, Intersectional um, Theology, that really looks at our multiple layers of identity and the intersectionality and how these forms of oppression are intersectional. So I feel those who are oppressed Uh, Because of these different forms of oppression and domination that, you know, these multiple layers that happen in our society and in our churches can start to embrace their uniqueness, Mm. their ethnicity, their identity. Because I think if we can do that, then we will be happier and be grateful and thankful for being created the way we have been created.
0: Yeah. And then I like then how that that celebration and embrace then when you get to that theology of visibility like carries Mm. over into method and expression. And that you say like, you know, Asian people have this rich cultural heritage, rich language, rich conceptual Mm. philosophical traditions that need to be brought to bear on the way we talk about God. Um, And you've done this in in, in other works. You've talked about um, the Holy Spirit and Chi. And and you you kind of bring up, you kind of use four in this book of, of Chi and I want to get some Han, uh, Uri and 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 Jong. Um, yeah, you know that you bring these out as you know these are gifts to kind of our our, our speech of our God that we you know need as part of being visible is bringing all of that along. So so talk to us a bit about that side of you know you don't have to go into the whole thing with all four, but like a bit of how that shapes that theology of visibility and is I guess this outworking of that celebration and affirmation.
1: Yeah. So you know. For a long time, I was so embarrassed about uh, my heritage, <clears throat> my language, everything. Uh, I remember when I was growing up, my friends would do... Uh, my Korean immigrant friends would do a lot of things to make themselves look less Korean. Mm-hmm. Um, either put... Uh, and it was very common practice because I read it in other people's books now, too. Mm-hmm. Um, with the with the eyelids, uh, my friends used to put... Uh, uh, tape over their eyes to make their eyelids fold, um, dye their hair, um, do various things, um, to make them look mm-hmm. less Asian. And, you know, nowadays people do plastic surgery to make themselves look less Asian too. And that happens in Korea. Mm-hmm. Korea is probably one of the number one facial, um, uh, Plastic surgery in the world Not the body but the face Mm. So we do things because of this Westernization of beauty Mm. Uh, You know you have to look kind of Western to be considered beautiful If you're not then You know you look kind of weird Or or too uh, You know there's other names I don't want to use So but you know As I come to Accept How God has created me Mm. um, And you know, embracing my differences. You know, it's become a joy and I I want to pass that on to my children because I know they've experienced racism uh, as they went to school, uh, as they went to public school. So I, you know, and this is for all that we need to... um, celebrate this theology of visibility. So I I use a lot of my Asian heritage, Mm -hmm. Asian language, as you mentioned, in my books. And I I do that again here in in the book Invisible. And as you mentioned, I go over the four that help us to move towards a theology of visibility. Mm -hmm. So one is Han. Han is a Korean term for unjust suffering. So there are systems that are set up to cause us have pain and and deep you know pain deep in our hearts and so that's a you can experience it individually or as a collective people and so Asian American women collectively you know because we are made invisible in so many different layers you know we carry this Han so recognizing that we have this Han and then um, chi, um, the term for spirit, and I've written about that in other, my previous books too, but I think it's very important to bring it here too, because chi is really helping us to become visible that, you know, the spirit that resides within us, She always is it reminds us of this embodied understanding of the spirit in Korea. It's very common way to say chi, you know, how is your chi or your ki? in Korea? We pronounce it ki. How is your ki today? And if it's really low, we want to lift your spirits up together. We are concerned about one another's um, chi. So, you know, understanding that we can be down, we can be, uh, but we, but we can be lifted up and it's the spirit of God that renews us and we, rejuvenates us and gives us new life and you see that very scripturally so the han that we may be experiencing the chi lifts us up and tries to make us visible chong is another korean term and other theologians have brought that in you know in the english language we have different words for spirit for love like eros Uh, and so i think the more words that we have in the more vocabulary the better off we are to understand the the multiple dimension of love that we experience. So, chong is the sticky love. You know, if you put your finger in in a in a jar of honey, it's so sticky; it's hard to release your fingers. And that's the kind of love that we experience between us. Mm-hmm. Um, Koreans experience it. So, even though you may argue with your family member, chong will bring us together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even in the brokenness of our community because of racism that we experience, this whole long history of racism here in North America, chong will still bring us together and keep us together. So chong is this kind of a different word for love that helps us to understand. And this chong between God and us, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Mm -hmm. It's very scriptural. So, you know, New Testament we've translated as love, but I think there are other words and I know different communities and different languages around the world have different forms and words for love. So I encourage people to bring them into this theological discourse because it only widens and deepens our understanding of who God is. Mm -hmm. And then Uri, yeah, the last, the fourth concept is a Korean term for our and it's, you know, I grew up in North America, I was born in Korea, but grew up in Canada. and Now I teach in the US. But this Western concept of individualism overrides community in so many cases, in, in schools and in churches everywhere else. And that's not so much like that in the Asian, in the Asian countries, it is very communal, the community is important, more important than the individual. That's why this honor shame works very well in that kind of society where you don't bring shame into the family uh, because we're not you're not an individual you are this part of this community. So Udi, uh, and it's interesting in the Korean language we rarely say I. It's just not used. Um, sometimes in the sentence it may be inferred people will understand, but you don't really use the word I. So. Even the grammar itself indicate, indicates how, you know, the individual is not that important. Yeah. And, you know, and so we use Udi a lot instead of I. And an example I give in the book is, you know, Liam, you're married to one woman. But when you talk about your spouse, your wife, you don't say my spouse in the Korean language. That would be incorrect. You would say our wife our spouse because that's how it's correct in that korean language every most things are our so you may be a single parent you don't say my child you say our child our parents our church you don't say my church mm. or my school you say our school and our church so this communal understanding is so helpful when we're talking about visibility you know a theology of visibility we are part of this body of Christ. We are part of this faith community. Doesn't matter how you look or what your heritage is or what your orientation is. We are all part of this body of Christ. We are part of the kingdom of God. So recognizing that should be able to give visibility to all those who feel so marginalized, feel so invisible in our society and in our churches.
0: Grace, thank you so much. And and I think that's a great spot to to close the conversation, I mean, and there's, but folks really do pick up the book because there's there's so much we haven't touched on. As you said, like it's it's got a lot of those personal stories, but interwoven are these kind of, you know, structural, specific historical cases of of racism and invisibility and sexism, um, both, you know, on the continent and, and, you know, over in, in, um, you know, in Korea and and in in elsewhere. So, and then, you know, we've only even touched the start of this theological, uh, theology of visibility because, you know, you've got, great sections on yeah. intersexuality and on Jesus in the kingdom and Jesus making visible. So, um, but yeah, I, it's a really excellent work. And I, and I do commit And as you said, it, it can be you know, individually read, but it will also make an excellent kind of book study or, or, or devotional guide yeah. for, for a small group. So
1: yeah, I hope, yeah. And I hope people around the world, like in Australia, will read it too, because I think um, Asian Australians, they have similar experiences. Their laws may have been different. Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, in different parts, because Asians have migrated into different parts of the world, but our experiences are very similar. So I hope that people around the world will read it. And, you know, I, I love to hear from people. I love to hear reviews and the ratings. So please go ahead and rate it on Amazon or wherever you do a Goodreads and and encourage people to read it. Thank you so much, Liam. It's always a joy to to be on your podcast. You make it look so easy and I know it's not. So thank you so much for having me. And I hope to see you one day again um, when the pandemic is over, when we could all travel again, so.
0: That will be wonderful. So, I so, oh, no, thank you so much. It is always a joy to have you on. It's always a, a, a pleasure to read your work. Um, and, and, folks, as well as picking up Invisible, make sure open up wherever you're listening to this right now. Uh, open up and also subscribe to uh, Madame, um, Grace's oh. podcast uh, and, and have a listen to that. Some excellent episodes. Um, and, yeah, Grace, thank you so much for joining us again. And, and folks, we'll see you all uh, next week. Bye.
1: Thank you so much, Liam. It's a joy to be with you.